friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so glad to be here with you today. I hope you're having a very happy Thursday. Hey, in just a few minutes, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at Prep Dish. They are the ones who are making the show happen today, and I'm really, really grateful, and I love what they do. The music in the background is our new song from our friend Creekmore. The song is called Precipice. It is actually a song that was written in partnership with my new book, Remember God. And so you should go check it out. It's so good. It's on iTunes and Spotify, all the places you love to listen to music. You can hear Precipice. It's just, it's really, really special. Speaking of music, you guys have had such good words and thoughts about the podcast from Monday with Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping at Last, about the Enneagram songs. If you self-identify on the Enneagram as a one through a seven, those songs are out. Make sure you go listen to them and eight and nine are on the way. I think you're going to love them. I mean, I assume we will. I haven't heard them. I'm just saying. I think you're going to love them because we've everybody's loved all the other ones. So I think we're going to love eight and nine. Just speaking it into being. <laughs> Last week, I got a chance to listen to my friend Jen Hatmaker's podcast where she had a political candidate on. I thought it was really interesting and, and raised some questions for me about politics and what's going on right now with the midterm elections. And I've got a go-to guy for that. My friend, Michael Ware, is the guy I want to talk to about politics. He is so, so smart, so kind, and really thoughtful. And in today's conversation, I just wanted to ask him, hey, Michael, what, what's going on here? What do I not know that we need to know? And, and just kind of have a midterm election conversation. So here is my conversation with author, brilliant political mind, Michael Ware. Michael Ware, welcome back to That Sounds Fun. I can't believe I'm back. I can't believe you'd have me back. It's it's good to be with you, Annie. Oh my gosh, of course you're back. I just went and looked, and your first episode is episode 23, right when Reclaiming Hope came out. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. Like two years ago? Is that right? Are you right out two years? <sighs> yeah, so it'll be two years in January. Oh, yeah, because it yeah. was right after the election, wasn't it? Yeah, it came out like three days before the inauguration. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Um, and for my friends who haven't read that yet, it really is. I mean, Michael, you know this about me because we've been friends a long time. I'm not your most political friend. Like, I don't do the most reading that I should be doing. But I do read enough to know that Reclaiming Hope was such, it, it was a really great book about a side of life I didn't know. And it was before we became friends. So I felt like I was doing like, Oh, learning about Michael's life in the White House. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Eddie. It was great doing that episode with you. And it's um, it's been good traveling uh, around the country, still talking with folks uh, a, a bit about the book. Uh, but really, the book has just been a bit of a springboard for uh, other conversations. And so... Uh, so, so yeah, I can't believe it's it's almost been two two full years. I know that's crazy. And you have a new job now, right? Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah, sure. So I just joined an organization called the Ann Campaign uh, as their chief strategist, and the Ann Campaign is uh, a Christian political education and advocacy organization that uh, wants to hold together uh, both biblical conviction and. A commitment to biblical justice. And so and that is like so right down the middle for you. Like that's so your spot, isn't it? I'm really, really happy about it. I mean, it, it's uh, I'm only, you know, six weeks or so in. Uh, so so getting my feet wet a little bit. But, uh, you know, obviously it's an exciting uh, an important season. We have some new initiatives we'll be rolling out in the next uh, in the next month or so. Yeah. Uh, and so, so yeah, it's a great organization. Uh, Justin Gibney is our president, uh, who, who's a great guy, great leader, 
we do a, a podcast called the Church Politics Podcast, uh, where Justin. Oh yeah, I, you're talking to a subscriber, buddy. You oh, are yeah. the voice I listen to for politics. So <laughs> I listen. I know. <laughs> so a lot of folks know Justin, and you know we've been doing that podcast almost for a year and a half, and so uh, I, I think it was really natural for our listeners to to hear that. I was joining the Ann campaign. <laughs> is it based? Like, are you working in an office now or are you working from home? So the Ann campaign is uh, based in Atlanta, the headquarters. I- I'm in D.C. Uh, uh, I think the hope is I'll-, I'll set up a sort of D.C. office uh, here. Uh, but yeah, for now, I'm working from home, which, you know, I love. Uh, right. We uh, I get a lot of birds in my backyard, so I keep the windows uh uh, you know, keep the blinds open and it's actually a really peaceful, peaceful place to work. Okay. So before we dive super hard into politics, there's two far more important conversations we have to have. Okay. Number one, you and Melissa are pregnant. Yes. And it's a little girl. It's a, it's a little baby girl. And are you just dying? I mean, I just watch you on Instagram and Twitter and you just talk about your baby all the time already. And she's not even here yet. Annie, I'm already a puddle. I don't know what <laughs> what I'm gonna do, Annie. You know, so we're we're recording this, uh, and I texted you. You know, I'm running 10, 15 minutes late. Yeah, because the GPS is showing that I'm late, which, which was completely a hundred percent true. I believe you. Uh, I would have left earlier, except I I walked out of a lunch, and and there was a little baby boutique. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you are and, lying to and, me. And and I got I got sucked in, Annie. <laughs> did you buy I, some cute things though? I really did. Oh I really did. Gosh. And I, I told Melissa, I told her, you know, the, the cost. And then I said, but don't worry, when you see it, you're gonna understand. Um, but but I'm not sure she's gonna understand. I have a real problem, Annie. <laughs> What did you buy? Well, well, so you you know Melissa, my wife, yes. and so I adore her. Uh, what I think will will really win her over is <laughs> I got this doll of a cat and a tutu, which you know is like oh, right yeah. up Melissa's alley. That's right. And so that was kind of like my uh, I figured I'd get that to soften the blow of this really adorable sleep shirt that has um, like the sleeves are cut off. It's like a one, and it's just beautiful and it was soft and i was like i can't not get this for my girl i saw yeah. it it was meant to be and so so yeah i have a real real problem annie and uh you know her room is is set up and so you know it's been fun getting that melissa has uh, her shower tomorrow and so it's just a yeah. really sweet time when are y'all do so uh should be early the fish officially it's early December, but this girl has been measuring like two weeks ahead from the jump. And so I, I've been putting my money on Thanksgiving. Okay. I, I think Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. Thanksgiving weekend. You're like really nailing it down. I, I think so. I mean, we'll we'll see. We'll have to edit this out if um, No, no, no. We're keeping you know, it. This I, is coming out before. Be... So we're all just gonna watch. We're just gonna <laughs> yeah, follow just you on watch. everything and be yeah, like, this is like he my wins? first paternal instinct yeah. moment. We'll see if it <laughs> we'll see if it proves out. <laughs> have y'all fit, found a name yet that you like? We have, we have, but uh, we're keeping that until until she's born. Yeah. Tell me how you figured out the name. Can you tell me that part, or do you do we need to wait on that too? So I had a name. I always I love the name Laura, uh-huh. and I've loved the name Laura. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things where you weed out names because you know, like oh, Other I knew a, yes. I, I knew a Laura in the second grade. For she sure. was mean, yep. you know. Like, <laughs> and Melissa had a couple names like that, and so 
we just fell in love with this name, with what yeah. it meant, just yeah. the sound of it. Yeah. And we're we're really we're really smitten with the whole with the whole thing. Yeah. It's just it's a really sweet time. And you know, Melissa's doing so so amazingly well and um yeah we're, we're yeah just, she seems to have stayed healthy the whole time has she had any problems you know i used to say you know it's, it's not that bad uh you know but that's really not my place to <laughs> <laughs> you know so so she's had like when i say it's not that bad it's like oh she's not like throwing up every day um but she she had like uh nausea and basically from the beginning so that so that was difficult and of course now you know, we're basically in the last month. And so, you know, just everything's sore and that, but she's just handling it with, with grace and the determination, you know, of, of Melissa. And it's just been really sweet to, you know, be, be alongside her as uh, we approach the arrival of our, our sweet girl. Just real quick, tell all the people in case they haven't heard the first episode, because I think we talked about this. How long have you and Melissa been together? Yeah, since middle school. So we actually just hit the milestone in our relationship where we have known each other for uh, more than half of the time that yeah. we've been alive. So we've yeah. been together for longer than we've been apart. So we, uh, we've been married uh, uh, seven years and a quarter about, but we started dating in high school. Uh, and so, yeah, we've known each other a, a very long time. Oh, I'm, I just, it's one of my very favorite, y'all are one of my very favorite couples for a lot of reasons, because I love being with you, but also I just love how consistent you've been in each other's lives and that y'all just grew, I mean, you literally grew up together. You hardly have memories without each other. There have been a lot of amazing things about it. Um, just to have someone that knows you that well yeah. is pretty incredible, but I wasn't like the most, uh, organized put together person in in high school so you know it was it would be like a very grounding experience when you know we'd be around people who would be asking about the white house or this or that and melissa would be like yeah one time i had to wake him up so he didn't miss his health exam and fail high school you know like <laughs> you know like uh, so you know like she uh, to have someone that knows you before you uh, really, you know, accomplished or did anything and still love you is is a is a is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, that's really sweet. Oh, well, I'm very excited for the baby to get here. We're gonna send. You're gonna have to put an address somewhere. I mean, I know your address, but for all of our friends that are listening, you need to get some sort of PO box so we can just fill your life with tiny things for tiny girls. <laughs> that is going to be the plan. We'll we'll do that. It'll um, although Melissa will just uh, say, "See now, you really can't buy anything for because right. you know. <laughs> Annie and her friends are going to send us everything. So don't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's the other big topic we have to cover before we get to politics. Uh, you met your like cooking hero last week. It was insane. So, as some context for just how much uh, this person means to me, um, I, I remember I was at a like a retreat. Uh, when I was working in government and there was an icebreaker for the retreat that was like, sure, one sort of uh, embarrassing hobby or interest that you have. And, you know, it's a federal government. So everyone's like buttoned up. No one, very few people said anything that was too interesting. You know, it was very like humble brag uh, kind, kind of stuff. Uh -huh. But, but I said, I wake up every Saturday morning 
and only cook from the cookbooks of Lydia Bastianich. Okay. And, I didn't know how to say her name. That's why I haven't said it yet. I've just read it when you posted about it. So I'm glad you said it. Lydia Bastianich. Lydia Bastianich. Now, I remember her from, she She has a cooking show, right? Or she used she to does. have one, like on PBS. PB, yes. PBS cooking yes. show. Her son is Joe Bastianich, who's on uh, Master Chef, I think, or one of yeah, those shows yeah. um, where they yell at people while they cook. Um, <laughs> uh, and... So she is just this uh, amazing woman. She has restaurants in Kansas City, Pittsburgh, and New York. Um, she Her cookbooks are incredible. My favorite, for those who are uh, interested in picking up a cookbook, is Lydia Cooks from the Heart of Italy. So I, I, I cook for our house, and we do Blue Apron. But if I'm cooking from a cookbook, it's it's Lydia. And she's just meant – it's you know, I, I sound almost silly, but no. it's uh, – She's meant a lot to me. She's helped me um, know more about Italy and I'm Italian. So there's that connection. And she just has like a great spirit about her. So yeah. uh, I had never met her. But you've probably cooked out of her cookbook for a decade. I mean, she's oh, been yeah. in like a chunk of your life. Oh, she and yeah. Melissa are the two most important women in your life. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And I think Melissa sometimes wonders uh, <laughs> which, what the what the order right, is. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like for a decade... You know, there have been opportunities to meet her, but I'd have to travel. Or one time my mother-in-law went to get her book signed for me because I couldn't be in town. Uh, So got some major mother-in-law points. But yeah, last weekend I saw like two or three days before she was going to be in that she was doing a, a book signing in the city. And uh, I showed up. I was I was first in line. And for folks who want to look uh, on Twitter, my my um, uh, Michael are aware. I posted a, a picture, and uh, it was it was just a really really cool thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was really fun. So when you walked up to her, was it at a bookstore or something? I couldn't tell. I saw the picture, but I couldn't tell where it was. So it's at this place in DC called Union Market, which is. Uh, so it was hosted by a bookstore, but they they set up you know a table at this big like kind of warehouse looking food market in D.C. Mm-hmm. And so she was in town. She was accepting an award from the National Italian American Foundation, and so oh, wow. she did a little book signing uh, while while she was here. So yeah, it was in like a big big open space. Melissa couldn't make it. She she woke up not feeling uh too too well. Uh you know, I got there in line. But it was funny, you know, there were a bunch of like other Lydia aficionados sure, sure. there. I will admit they were probably on average 40 years older than me. <laughs> and female. And female. Uh, and so, but, the rest of but, them were your mother-in-law. That's right. That's exactly right. So, uh, uh, but it was it was a good experience. So, in moments like that, when you're meeting this person, I can think of a few people. So, in the cooking world, for me, that would probably be like Alton Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you just go, like, I've always wanted to say something to you. I'm going to say it. What What did you say? I said, you know, I just want you to know how much. You've meant to me in my life. You've fed my family. Uh, you've uh, helped me feel more sort of grounded in my in my heritage. You've helped plan some of the trips I've taken to Italy, and I just want to let you know, you know what a, what a gift you've been to my my family. And you, you know, we had a little conversation. She actually, um, so Lydia is one of uh, three people who know the name of my daughter because Lydia <gasps> you has told a. Her. Lydia has a children's book, and so I brought the children's book for her to sign. So she she said her name, uh, you know, she wrote her name, and she said uh, to to a future chef. And oh so you know, it's just very, and, and you know, Annie, like it's um, what a dream. 
I mean, you've worked for the president. Well, yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say, right? So I don't, after that experience, it's, it's hard to get too, too worked up around personalities. But yeah, Lydia was probably the one person who would... Uh, you know, I, I was I was a little little nervous to to meet her. I wanted yeah. to make sure I didn't say anything wrong, and you know, so it was it was a it was a cool experience. Oh, that's amazing! Oh, that is just that's just the best. I'm so I was so thrilled you got to meet her because I've heard you talk about her before, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the moment. This yeah. is it, yeah. and that she knows your daughter's name. That's so sweet. I know. I know. <laughs> I won't ask her on Twitter. I won't. I won't. <laughs> no. Yeah. 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 So I'm just going to real quick interrupt this fun conversation and tell you about my friends over at Prep Dish. You've heard me talk about them before if you have listened to the show before, but Prep Dish is a great way to save time and be efficient in the kitchen. Eat healthy. You know me. I'm gluten-free, dairy-free. And so this is a great way to have those kind of meals that are real foods only. But you can also, if you eat dairy, if you eat gluten, if you eat all the things, they have that for you too. It's a stress-free really tasty meals. And the owner, Allison, who I adore, is offering my friends, you guys, a free two-week trial of Prep Dish, which is awesome. You get to try it for free for two weeks. This is like a no-brainer. Just go to prepdish.com slash Annie. And if you ever need to use a code, just use my first name, A-N-N-I-E, in all caps. So Prep Dish is like a meal planning service. So every week you get an email with a grocery list and a prep ahead instructions so that all of your meals are ready for the week. There's no guesswork needed. You can let Prep Dish do all the planning for you. You don't even have to think about it, which is great for me because I'm just busy. It's not that I don't like cooking. I'm just busy and I have a crazy schedule and this is such a time saver for me. So after only like an hour, maybe a little bit more of prepping on the weekend, I have all my meals ready for the entire week. So um, make sure you go and try Prep Dish. I mean, why not try it for free for two weeks, right? PrepDish.com slash Annie and your first two weeks are free. Again, that's PrepDish.com slash Annie. Okay, so let's get into some meat of some things. You know how I am, Michael. I tr- I want to learn and I want to know, but I'm not like, I mean, the most honest answer is politics is really challenging for me. Yeah. And people have started talking so much about the midterm elections that I was like, I just need Michael Ware. I just need <laughs> Michael Ware. I just need him to tell me some things that I don't already know. Yeah. So can we do that for a few minutes? Sure, sure. Okay, uh, will you back up and give just a tiny history of your political life so that people kind of know where you're coming from? So I got involved in faith and politics. I was interested in politics from a very young age, became a Christian at 15, uh, and through uh, sort of that experience decided I wanted to figure out what it meant to be sort of faithful in public things. Uh, so that led me to D.C., where through a serendipitous a sort of providential meeting that we discussed on the last episode, I ended up meeting Senator, then Senator Barack Obama uh, in early 2007, uh, right around the to- time he announced he was running for president. Uh, told him I wanted to work for him and ended up working on both of his campaigns, running religious outreach for his re-election campaign. And in between the two campaigns, I worked uh, in the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, uh, where you know we did a number of things, but basically I helped uh, the president navigate religious uh, issues and relationships. Uh, so uh, sort of that was my time with, with President Obama. Since then, I've been 
trying to use my experiences from that to come alongside uh, Christian and other organizations that are navigating, I think, what we all feel is an increasingly fraught, complex sort of religious, cultural, political landscape in this country. So that's that's kind of the the quick rundown of sort that, of— Even that sentence, Michael, like— the whole stat of 87% of evan- evangelicals believe this, this, and this, but not the 87% I know. It right. just feels so complicated because I feel like I know a lot of people who don't fit into these stats. It's like we aren't just two parties anymore, and you would say that's for the worse. Yeah, I, I would. I think that our parties are are really starving for— people who are happy to participate in them, happy to register uh, with them, but uh, don't believe the parties deserve their primary allegiance, that the actually political parties are not meant to shape us. We're supposed to shape our political parties. And so often we get that we get that twisted. We, we, We somehow think that we're joining a team that requires us to you know, seed our conscience over when, when no, we ought to be bringing our full selves to the political process to shape it for the good of our neighbors. But I think what we're seeing, whether we're talking about social media discourse, whether we're talking about, you know, the, the, the anger and the vitriol we see, I think we're seeing our politics shape us more than, more than we're shaping our politics. Yeah. Start for me with why does this midterm election feel like it matters so much more than they it's is it because we live in a louder culture or is this one actually more important that's a big piece of it it seems with each every 2 years every 4 years for an election political technology has become so sophisticated uh like right division in politics is not new right. like you could you could john adams and thomas right. jefferson uh did not have pleasant things to say about one right, another right, right. in uh, 1800. Uh, what's different is that it's just everywhere, right? So 1800, if there was a debate, maybe you'd read about it in, you know, a pamphlet, uh, at some point, or, you know, maybe you'd, you'd overhear something, but now we'll get personalized emails into our inboxes, about how the other candidate is evil and trying to destroy right. our family. Right. Uh, whether we're watching uh, cable news or listening to the radio or increasingly politics is creeping into uh, non-political sort of sort of culture, it's just everywhere. And that's what's what both makes it seem worse and, and in a very real way makes it worse, yeah. which is, you, you know, the division isn't new. The fact that the division is so saturating our lives – uh, leads to uh, us feeling an anxiety and a sense of embattlement, and I think some some good things too. I, I think we're we're not able to turn away from injustice as, uh, in the same way that we uh, could in the past, just because we're constantly being confronted with it. So yes, there's like this this sense in in which it's the most important which is what you know politicians say all you know every every election but there is this um sense that we're at we're at a turning point as a nation uh-huh. uh, that with everything going on the midterms really represent the first time that the public has a opportunity to di- directly voice its 
perspective on what's been happening. Since the election in 2016. Since the election Got in it. 2016. Okay. And so there's there's this sense that, well, there's been all this all this talk about different things going right or different things going wrong, but but elections have a way of validating yeah. and vindicating. Yeah. You know, certain experiences and certain perspectives. Whether people actually put their money where their mouth is. That's exactly right. And so, yeah, you know, a great yeah. example is, you know, all the rhetoric and conversation that we see around, you know, young people being more fired up about politics than ever and, and more concerned about various things that are going on. Well, on the other hand, historically, turnout among young people for midterm elections is very low. And so, you know, we can debate these things in the abstract. But there's going to be a very real measure of how motivated young people are and what's motivating them on November 6th. And then, to you know, people will always debate stuff, but at some point that will end a certain part of the debate. Like, we'll know. At some point, the numbers are the numbers. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Right, right. And you know what? One of the things you were saying about social media is one of the things that makes me insane and I would love for you to speak to this is it almost feels like, especially in the church, there are sectors of the internet full of Christians where you are absolutely not allowed to be pro-Trump no matter what. Yeah. And there's also sectors of the Christian inter- internet where you are absolutely not allowed to be anti-Trump. Right. And it seems like people are going, how in the world could you believe the same Bible I believe? How could you believe the same Jesus I believe? Yeah. How could you believe the same air is breathable that I believe if you are pro-Trump or if you are anti-Trump. Has it ever, it's just never felt so like people have tied their church and their politics so closely together before. Yes. And you live in this world. So that's why you're here. Cause I'm like, Michael, is this true? Cause that's how it feels. No. So I, I think that's a, it's a really key insight. People are loading onto politics, all kinds of different animosities and aspirations that politics certainly is related to, but that that politics isn't meant to bear. And so so your political posture is is taken to represent something more holistic and more definitive than politics, especially something as binary as support or opposition to Trump. Now, now I want to be clear. I think there are there are circumstances and specific decisions being made where I do think there can be a very strong case being made in the pro or anti, you know, Trump made a good decision here, a bad decision here. Sure. But but it's this, what you're speaking to is this, like people can't even call the sky blue. Yes. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, without being sucked into, oh, you're, you're trying to prop up, you know, this guy or. Yeah. It honestly keeps me quiet, Michael. It keeps me from saying anything. Cause I'm like, I'm not, I'm not willing to get chewed up over one opinion that I have. Right. But then there are times where you go, but this is really terrible. Yeah. And I should be allowed to say that it's terrible and and be okay with that. I'm just saying I need to be braver on my internet sometimes, Michael. <laughs> yeah. And here's what gets me. And, and for, for folks who are in conversations, you know, social media conversations are one thing, uh, especially for, for folks that have platforms. We all have to think about how we're how we're using those those platforms right. for folks in in their personal lives in the relationships they have like when i'm talking with 
folks at my church or when uh, when I'm talking with people after my events uh, at churches or Christian colleges, you know, I, I'm not so much trying to parse out what their particular policy perspective is on every issue and and determining whether, you know, that's the right, quote unquote, you know, Christian perspective or not. Well, what I am looking for is for the logical sort of path they take. Mm-hmm. And so uh, let me give you a point that will yeah. make this a bit more clear. So my um, my pastor preached a sermon after we did a service of lament after the uh, the shooting in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. He brought up some Barna research, and I don't have the numbers directly in front of me, but this is the basic gist. Uh, basically, and Barna's they, a great place. People can go Barna's to a great place. research pieces that they want on faith and culture. Yes, absolutely. So uh, so Barna did this research around violence, uh, and th- there was a two-part question. The, f- the first part was, Uh, Something along the lines of, would you use violence to protect your property or your family from like an intruder or someone that was that was a physical threat, someone that was trying to, you know, mug you or something like that? And like 70, 80 percent of Christians said, yes, I would. Oh, wow. And that's a prudential matter. We could debate that. Pacifists would have one answer. Uh, others, uh, you know, faithful streams of Christian theology would have another. Sure. Um, but that's that's a debatable matter. But, but listen to this, Annie. The follow-up question was, uh, do you think God would agree with your position? Oh, right. And only 20 or 30% of Christians said yes. Oh, Wow. And so that's when we talk about politics. Yes, I am. You know, I have views on what policies best uh, serve our our neighbors and are best for the flourishing of our community, and I'll debate those. When I'm in personal, interpersonal Christian conversations, where you know, winning a, a debate or conversation isn't going to change, you know, one on one conversation isn't going to change the trajectory of the country. What I'm really interested in, and what I think pastors and and just Christians in general need to be concerned about is when we have these logical breaks in our logic that suggests that we don't trust God to be God when it comes to our politics. Mm. And so you'll hear people say, you know, I don't think God would approve of this approach to whatever issue, uh, issues of life, criminal justice reform, border enforcement. But then they'll say, I don't think God would approve of this position. And then you got to watch out for that, but, you know, right. it'll be, but, you know, it's a dangerous world out there or, but, you know, don't we really have to be careful to be respectful of all these different kinds of dynamics? And we got to be careful for that because it, it, then it becomes a discipleship problem, Annie. Oh, and if right. people aren't trusting a Jesus in the political realm, it's very rare that they're trusting Jesus in other areas, in every other area yeah, of their life. Yeah, those are the kinds of conversations I'm having in you know in my personal community. Yeah. So tell me, you know, as people are looking to where they're voting on November sixth, particularly as you mentioned, like I feel like the older voters get the more they're able to vote down party lines, and younger voters aren't really doing that as much. Like, what do we look at if we're deciding to vote and we aren't just necessarily going to vote party lines? What are we looking for when we look at candidates? So I basically have, you know, five questions. And these aren't the only five, but I basically have five questions that I think are helpful for Christians to be asking. The first is, 
what are you passionate about? You know, what experiences has God given you that inform your political outlook and views and interests? And I think that that is a fair consideration uh, to have. So, for instance, I would think a Christian whose vocation was was working for an NGO that does international development work, that they might weight differently a politician's position on international aid and global poverty than a Christian who worked in another area. Sure. Um, I would I would think that a uh, that a Christian who had certain life experiences that intersect with politics would would weight the politician's approach to to those issues um, differently than if they had not had those experiences. And I think that they actually can be a gift to our, our community and a gift sort of it, it leads to a, a a more diverse witness of the heart of God when we're willing to ask those kinds of questions. The second question would is the self-interested one. So how would the candidate meet your needs? Like you and your family. And that's not selfish to think that. Like we're totally allowed to ask like, here's what my family needs. And here's the, because being a Christian, sometimes it feels like I only need to think about my neighbor. That's right. But no one else is going to vote for you. And what often happens is if we don't identify what our interests are explicitly and out loud, then we can often use a veneer or all these kind of like cute tricks to pretend like we're advocating for other people who really were. So it's important to, it's important to name like what season of life are you in? Are you trying to pay off student loans or are you trying to save for your kids' student loans? Are you trying to get uh, sort of uh, go to technical school to pick up skills? Are you employed or unemployed? You know, these questions are important. Yeah, your medical health and what what you need from the government as far as health wise, right? Yeah, exactly right. Um, And so like those are important questions to be asking and to be explicit about. But then the the third question is, how will the candidate meet the needs of your community? Mm. Uh, And so after you consider, you know, what, what do I need? And you say those things out loud, it's important to, to look around and, and look at the, the needs that you see in your community yeah. and that people in your community are telling you <laughs> that they, they, they need. Right. And by community, I don't mean, um, I mean, geographic space, the, the, sure. the, um, your the literal ger- neighbors, right. The constituency in which the politician you're voting for will, will be representing. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, considering those things are important, and depending on your station in life, uh, the way that you balance that and think about that uh, will be different uh, juxtaposed against your needs. Yeah. And as Christians, of course, our faith tells us something very powerful about how we think about others' needs in relation to our own. Uh, the, the fourth question, uh, Annie, which I think is really important in this time, and this is a passion of mine and in the next year, decade, you know, through the course of my work, uh, I saw this question being asked more. I would consider my work to be a success. And it's how will candidates affect our culture? Yeah. Uh, what kind of political culture are our candidates producing? Yeah, because that's part of what I struggle with is sometimes people say, well, how they're affecting our culture is the only thing that matters. Who cares about their their policies. And then other people say, who cares about the kind of person they are? All we care about is their policies. That's right. And it's it's that sort of very uh, utilitarian kind of approach to our politics 
advancing policies that you think are good through destructive means is destructive. Right. <laughs> and so to, to not consider the kind of person the candidate is and the way that they talk about themselves and their opponents. Uh, so if they're constantly misrepresenting their opponents, if they're constantly using fear and anger to motivate voters rather than uh, service and, and aspiration, uh, th- then that's something that we need to consider. We need we need to understand that uh, that politics uh, and political culture shapes who we are as people. It shapes other areas of culture. Like politics isn't just cordoned off. Right. And so, uh, and it's actually because politics is inherently representative. It's one of the only forms of culture that that has the, in some ways, the rightful claim to actually represent people, as opposed to right. If you don't like a TV show, you just don't like a TV show. But but that politician is going to be representing and speaking for you, whether you like it or not. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so that question of political culture is is so critical. We need to be thinking about. What kinds of conversations we're going to have, we're going to be forced to have with our nieces and nephews and grandkids and kids uh, because th- that candidate is in office. Right. And, you know, and the last question, and this is really meant to, I think, reframe a bit how we think about voting. And, and, and the question is if your vote determined the outcome of the election, would you regret how you voted? Oh, wow. Voting is not between a perfect option and a clearly imperfect option. All elections are between two imperfect options. But this question is just meant to clarify that when you put aside sort of the the cultural acts, aspects of voting and just how good it'll feel to express yourself in a certain way, right. what we one prism we should really be looking through is if you were able to pick the winner, who do you think would be best <laughs> holding that office? That this isn't yeah. about sending sending some kind of meta message or wanting to no no you're you're voting for someone to fill a role, fill a job, right. and if your vote wasn't just some sort of uh, some sort of expression, but you were actually selecting the person for that role, who would you pick? And if your vote determined the outcome of the election, would you regret how you voted? And so that's those are the main main questions. And I think framing our electoral decisions in that way, naming explicitly what our self-interest is, but being other centered when we when we go to the polls in November, which that doesn't. Uh, sort of inevitably determine that you'll vote one way or the other, uh, but the the overall shift that will take place if the church stood up and said, "Do you know what? Our security is found in Jesus Christ," yeah. and that actually frees us up to think about the security and well being of others as well when we go to the ballot box in November. Uh, what a gift that would be to our nation and to our communities and to our politics, especially in a time like this. Man, will you make us a graphic with those five questions for? I will. <laughs> for I will. I feel like if if we shared that, people would. That is such a great way to um, to th- those five questions help me already think so much about how to research my candidates. 
I hope so. And you know, it's something that folks can use in uh, in their small groups, and uh, they're intentionally not loaded questions. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's no there's no sort of uh, hidden sort of agenda. I I am someone who has enough confidence in the church, in the gospel that uh, I think if if Christians can just better connect their faith to their politics and to to be conscious that they have the freedom to think Christianly when it comes to politics. The yeah. politics just isn't this area that, oh, oh, I need to I need to think about what Jesus would want in my relationships and in my job. But politics, that's just so dirty and uh, and worldly that that's, yeah. you know, Jesus really doesn't have anything to say about that. I think that's hurt us quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and I, I, uh, I think if, if Christians were asking some of these questions, we'd see we'd see things change both within the church, but then also I think I think the country would feel it too. Yeah. So help me sort out when I want to go ask those five questions about the candidates in my area. Where are resources that I'm going to go look? Am I going to take those five questions to their websites? Am I going to take those five questions to? Do you have trusted sort? Because like for example, I follow CNN and Fox News on Twitter because usually they say opposite things to me about the same story. But I follow them both because I need them both, right? Yeah. So because I, I'm trying really hard to have a balanced, full experience of this Absolutely, and yeah. hear everything. So what are some other resources that you trust that we should go to when we are trying to sort through really all of the election, but particularly this midterm stuff? Yeah, I mean, so uh, looking through the candidates website is just really, you know, so, so this is the information. This is how they want to convey themselves to you. And so you go in understanding that, that that there's a a mission and a a lens that was used to create that information. But it also tells you something really important about who the candidate thinks they're appealing to, uh, what the candidate thinks you want to hear and it usually has a pretty good indication of how they're going to represent you yeah. if elected into office. So where's a balanced place for me to read about, you know, Jimmy running for office? Where's a place I can read where he's not trying to convince me? Yeah. So you're just never, never. The real goal is to aim for, uh, for breadth and to be looking for the best, most informed, uh, affirmative statements of candidates in the race and the the most uh, research nuanced uh, opposition uh, to the candidates in the race because there are no unbiased sources. Now you can find online there are different websites that do sort of uh, you know where does a candidate stand on this particular uh, issue, and some of them are are you know nonpartisan, but sometimes the issues that they select have a certain agenda behind them. So, you know, if they're only, if they're only uh, sharing a certain set of issues, they're probably doing that to lead you to vote in that organization's interest, yeah. not, uh, yeah, yeah. not in yours or that of your community. And so I, I really encourage people to, to aim for breath, to be obviously, you know, when we're talking about local races, do your best to read your, your local newspaper. The really important thing here, Annie is this is not meant to be sort of a soul crushing burden, right, <laughs> you know, like right. th- there's only, um, it started to feel like that. Hasn't it? It does. And, it feels like you're going to lose friends that you're going to anger yes. people and that, this, and that America falling or standing depends on every election. <laughs> we have duties as, as citizens for the, for the space that you have in your life for this, you want to use it. Well, you want to make sure you're being, 
uh, uh, thoughtful. Uh, you want to uh, make sure that you're reading uh, opinions and ideas that will that will challenge you. But the point of this is not to act as if you spending an extra 15 minutes uh, or, or you reading this article is going to be some kind of like legalistic sort of, you know, I've done my, like people have difficult lives and we're obligated to be involved as citizens. Uh, but this is not meant to be something that makes you feel, that makes folks feel uh, burdened and anxious and uh, feeling like they need to never stop sort of consuming this kind of information. No, you just want to, again, sort of do your due diligence. If you have time to watch, you know, some, some of the uh, debates for candidates you'll be uh, voting for to get a better feel. But again, people have different seasons of life. So you just, you just do what you can. Yeah. My, my friend, uh, Tyler Wiggs Stevenson wrote a book, the world is not ours to save, which comes out of his experience as an activist. And so like, this is not someone who's a, uh, it's not me writing that book. Who's, who's apathetic. <laughs> right. right. Uh, not someone who stands back, but someone who's right in the middle. Right. But, but he saw the, the burnout and the, uh, frankly, this, the savior complexes that come and, and are now almost encouraged in our social media discourse, where if you haven't tweeted, um, whatever the issue of the moment is, then you you must not really care yeah, or you right? you must not really and that's so it, look, annoying it's, it's manipulation yeah. it's manipulation uh, that frustrates me when people say why haven't you said anything about fill in the blank yeah and i'm like me tweeting about something does not determine a how i feel about it or b whether it's going to change anything by me tweeting about it either that's right and so i don't want people to listen to this conversation feeling like oh man i don't have I only have four hours a day to be reading through 20 different websites. And since I don't right. have that, then I'm really just not going to yeah. get the information you can and fulfill your duty as a citizen based on the stage of life you're at and the amount of time you're able to commit. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and God will, God will be faithful with what you've given to the, the, the process to um, as long as you seek to be faithful in it. And what that, what that means is, what are you going to politics for? So if you're going to politics as a form of entertainment, if you're going to politics seeking self-affirmation, um, then that's not going to politics for what politics is meant for. And then, I, you know, I'm not sure how well that that can that can be used. Right. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but if you're going to politics for the 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 relatively narrow scope of wanting to advance. Uh, justice and the flourishing of your community, then what that means is you'll spend probably a lot less time reading gossip columns about politicians and and sort of horse race stuff, uh, especially if that's kind of my job. That's my vocational piece. Uh, but I, what, what's distressing to me, Annie, is talking with folks whose job isn't politics, who are <laughs> who, who seem to be uh, more sort of enamored <laughs> with, with, with this stuff that, you know, like I have to read the polls because, uh, because I'm going to have a conversation with Annie Downs right, on her podcast right. and I better know, <laughs> I better know what these races are going to look like. And so, yeah, be, one way that you could be uh, careful with your time and discerning with your time is asking yourself, am I reading this article uh, because I think it's going to affirm me or because it's going to be 
it's going to be my entertainment piece that I could tweet something snarky about? Or am I doing this because I actually think it's going to help me better love my neighbor? Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, to be fair, there are times when we should speak out on social media about what we're seeing to help inform other people of what they may not have seen. Right, exactly. But what we shouldn't do is expect everyone's everyone to say everything and to assume that if they aren't saying something, they don't care. Right. That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, there, there's a beautiful, beautiful diversity and sort of, um, you know, like an iron sharpening iron thing when I'm sharing about the issues that have impacted me and, and I'm able to see and be informed by other people who are sharing about the issues and, uh, the circumstances that affect them. Cause like you said, we all can't do Everything. And when we expect people, when we expect others, they have the same agenda that we have, then we're really looking to stare in a mirror (laughs) as opposed to live in a pluralistic, diverse community of people that uh, that can contribute to one another. What I'm seeing is I know there's huge races like Ted Cruz and O'Rourke in Texas that everybody's talking about, but there are, everyone has the opportunity to vote on November 6th, right? Yes. Like all of us should go to the polls over something in our community, even if it's not the one that CNN and Fox News are going to cover like crazy on November 6th. 100%. Everyone will be voting for, uh, for, member of the house of yeah, representatives. House. I was about to say everybody has a house turnover, right? Yep. And then I believe there are 36 or 37 governor races, so the vast majority of states will be uh will be will be uh, electing governors and then state legislatures, uh mayoral races, I mean it's a district attorney races. I mean sometimes these are the races that have the most direct impact and felt impact that, that you could see yeah. in your daily life uh, on on your community. But yeah, I mean, you know, there are some of these races that are going to get uh, sort of the big, big headlines, um, but but that shouldn't influence whether you're turning up to vote for the, the people that you have influence right, over and, right. the, and the, the, the seats that you have influence. But man, over. watching that Cruz O'Rourke thing is interesting, isn't it? It sure is. You know, it's, it's uh, an interesting race. You know, I think Beto is... Uh, a, a better fit for Texas than Wendy Davis, who Democrats tried to run for in a race uh, a little while back. But Texas is, you know, a heavily Republican state. And, you know, Beto, interestingly, um, has not, I appreciate the openness of his campaign, the fact that he's going into difficult places and sharing his perspective. And, and we should want that. We shouldn't want politicians pretending to be someone they aren't in order to try and win an election. That's just not healthy for yeah, them. It's not yeah. healthy for us. But you, you know, th- this election is really going to be a test of, at least in Texas, how far personality and civility and sort of openness and persuasion can win a race, even when the candidate has uh, you, you know, some, you know, fairly, you know, progressive positions in a, in a state. Yeah, because it is, feels like, now I don't live in Texas, nor do you, we don't get to vote on this, but it feels like it's either going to be like the cool, suave guy or like the old school guy that ever, and, and we're just going to see who Texas actually is <laughs> right. and who actually goes to the polls for Texas. And, you know, that that's a beautiful thing about democracy, you know, yeah. like for all the chatter, all the puff pieces, all the, all like voters are going to have their say on this. Yeah. So that is what makes so important 
our really strong rejection of any efforts to keep people from voting. The, the whole system relies on the fact that, that people have equal and fair access to the ballot. And that's the only thing that allows us to tell people to accept the results of elections. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that has uh, that gives us the ability to say, well, even if you don't like that candidate's uh, policies, once, once they're elected, they represent you too. If we're seeing voter disenfranchisement happen, then it really undermines the whole integrity of our system. So uh, uh, that's an important thing to have on our on our minds. The, the functioning of our democratic institutions is what allows us um, to, to say things like, you know, voters will have their say on November right, 6th. Right, right, right. Um, and then my fear, and this will be the last question for you before we say something, we talk about something fun. My fear is on November 7th, we're going to start talking about the 2020 election. Like that it's going to go hard and fast and we're not going to get any breathing space. And I feel like that's something you just said on Twitter too, that, that you see it coming in faster than usual. Annie, it's the presidential election is going to start. So, some people would say that it started already. Yeah. We already have candidates visiting early primary states. And do Republicans have a... <laughs> I'm showing my cards a little bit. Do Republicans have a choice? <laughs> or or is does the incumbent automatically get to run again? They have to decide that they want to run. Trump is... Uh, President Trump is, has suggested that he will be running for re-election. But it's possible to primary uh, just like... You know, if he wasn't an incumbent, uh, someone can in his party can run against him for his party's nomination. So uh-huh. he's not he's not by you know law or policy uh, guaranteed the nomination. Now, the last uh, significant legitimate contestation of a of a party's nomination for the incumbents party was in 1980 when Ted Kennedy ran against Jimmy Carter for the democratic nomination. Okay. And so, uh, it's actually funny, a journalist by the name of John Ward, who I I believe you may have seen him. He he spoke at Q uh, a couple, uh, he has a book coming out like, this year about that 1980 election, I told him, you know, this could be the best time. You know, you could yeah, no kidding. Imagine. You could have just struck gold, brother. So yeah, I think it would be good and healthy for the Republican Party that to have uh to have a have an intra party debate about their future, and but it, it'll take someone serious sort of stepping up to the plate. yeah. So tell me when we are praying for like when people are seriously sitting down and going like, Lord, you got to help us, like. What are you praying when you're praying? What should we be praying that I might not think of myself? Praying for President Trump by name. Praying for Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi by name. And the formative uh, qualities of that are are just really important. What it does in us is what you mean formative. Yes, in in us, in us. I go to a church that um, that we we do uh, sort of communal uh, prayers during a time in the service, and there are weeks when it's difficult to to pray by name for certain political leaders. But I know if I'm not if I'm not willing to do that, it means that I'm more concerned about my will than God's will, mm. and I, I'm more concerned about sort of the power that I have than the power that God has to move in the hearts of of anyone. And so praying in that way is really important. You know, I'd pray for 
uh, folks who who feel afraid, who feel anxious. That would be the other important thing to say. We need to work on ourselves to make sure we're not bringing anxiety and fear and anger to our politics. That doesn't mean that we uh, use that as an accusation against others. We don't want to confront other people's expressions of fear, anxiety, or anger by just telling them, Oh, you know, real real Christians want to be anxious about this. Right. That, that that's not the point. Right. The, uh, use these things internally. Excellent. We need to we need to pray for people who uh, either by perception or by reality have concerns or are feeling the brunt of bad political decisions. Uh, and then we we need to pray for courageous, other centered political leaders. Uh, and for the institutions and things that they need to support them to make good decisions to come into place. Uh, So this can't all be about, you know, a kind of a truism in politics, you know, courageous politicians can only be courageous once and then they're voted out, (laughs) you you know? And so, so that's not a sustainable thing by itself. What we need is a citizenry that rewards courage, <laughs> that, that rewards uh, rewards people uh, making other-centered decisions. And so, you know, we, we, we want to pray for the health and spirit of not just our elected officials, but but for for the people who are all of us who are who are who will be voting for them in, in just a few weeks. All right, Michael. I feel better. You always, you always make me feel better about this whole situation. You're going to have to come back when, um, well, for starters, we're going to have to talk about the baby, but (laughs) when we really get rolling on the 2020 election, would you be willing to come back and kind of help us process through the faith side and the thought side of this again? I'd love to. And, um, I'm actually haven't, uh, uh, really announced this (gasps) yet, but I'm planning to do, uh, launching probably before the year is out a podcast looking specifically at faith in 2020 yes. to sort of sort of walk people through from like a tactical perspective, just what are the candidates doing in relation to religion and faith and reaching out to faith communities. Um, but then also, you know, helping Christians to, to think about what's going to be a very consuming, yes. I'm afraid, you know, a very pervasive sort of political conversation that a, a, as we discuss, Annie, it's, it's going to start, like you know next yeah, month yeah like so soon before you have a baby we yeah. will we yeah, will have right. too many conversations about an election in 2 years she will be walking before a president is elected and yet we will start talking about it well thank michael thank you so much for being on here oh the last question you know always we always ask what sounds fun to you right now? Because the show's called That Sounds Fun. So what are you doing for fun these days? Oh, wow. Last time you said water park, didn't you? <laughs> yes. Yes, we did yeah. talk about water park. And I, I haven't been to one since we recorded oh, no. that podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> um, let me do a shout out. Uh, so there's a new book by an author, Nicole Chung. Yeah. Called All You Can Ever Know. And uh, she's an adoptee. And... I could not put this book down last really? night. Really? Uh, Do you remember the title? Yeah. So the title is All You Can Ever oh, Know that's by the Nicole title. Sorry, Chung. sorry. I thought you literally were saying, like, it's all you can ever know. That is profound. Kind of who's on first for me there for yeah, a second. Right, right, right. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, so, so, you know, the book is challenging and her personal experience as an, as an adoptee and how she processed that. And so uh, it's, it's, it's really a memoir, but I found it so rewarding. She, she writes it with such care 
uh, and concern and, and wisdom that yeah, that's what's on my mind right now. I can't wait till my work day is yeah. over uh, to finish up. Like I have, you know, 30 pages left. Cause I just, you know, went into a coma at some point right, last night. Right. Uh, uh, Cause I, I couldn't keep my eyes open, but it's a, uh, it's a really wonderful book. Oh, okay, great. We will, I'm going to go order it right now. Thank you for telling me about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael, I'm so, so thankful for you, buddy. Thank you for coming on the show and doing this and kind of helping us think through this in a bigger and better way. So great. Love you, Annie. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Uh, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Michael Ware. I really left it with more hope than I thought I would have and some joy and just some real appreciation for how Michael is leading right now and teaching us and educating us. And I'm really, really grateful. So um, if you get a chance and can tell him how great you think he is and how much you appreciate his work, you can do that. So on Twitter, he's Michael R. Ware. And on Instagram, he's just Michael Ware. And so you can find him both places. And just tell him thanks and you appreciate his wisdom. And do make sure you go out and vote, you guys. It takes some research these days, maybe more than it used to for me. And it takes thought and it takes time, but it is a privilege and something that not every country gets to do, but we do. And I'm really, really thankful. And so I hope you will be sure to take some time and vote before or on November 6th and pray. Michael gave us some great direction on on how to vote and how to pray. And I hope you will do both. And um, I'm making some new commitments in my prayer life around this as well after this conversation. So I'm really, really grateful. Hey, if there's anything I can do for you, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. I'm Annie F. Downs, as in freedom, because we have the freedom to vote. Annie F. Downs across the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere you could need me, that is where you will find me. And I am happy to hang out with you there. So make sure you say hi next time you are passing by on Twitter, on Instagram, and let me know if there's anything I can do for you. If you haven't gotten a copy of Remember God yet, my new book that came out at the beginning this month, it is available everywhere that books are sold. Make sure you grab one and read it. I'm really grateful for all your words and your thoughts that you have already shared with me. So thank you for reading and sharing. All right, friends, go out there and do something that sounds fun to you. And I will see you back here on Monday. Monday.